my succulent, sexy sprouts. Yep, yep, we're going with that one. It is episode 28 of Gutter Glitter. I am Kirsty, as you know, if you've listened to this far. If you haven't, probably go back to chapter one because you're probably going to be quite confused. We are launching into chapter 16, He Swims in My Eyes by the Bed. The soundtrack is Amy Winehouse, My Lord and Saviour, R.I.P., and the song is Wake Up Alone. I mean, the, just she's just my gal, my gorgeous, gorgeous gal in life and death, and I wish she was able to provide us with more of her art in her short, short time on this earth. It's such a tragedy. Um, but luckily, I commemorate her with a giant tramp stamp on my back. Uh, <laughs> I love her so much and I love the tattoo I have of her face even though she does look a little bit jaundice uh it's a color tattoo and and we went with yellow for the face um I wanted it to be like neon colors and look we took a left turn there you know you win some you lose some um probably could have chosen a a better spot but the artwork itself is gorgeous I'll post a picture of it on the Instagram at Gutter Memoir so you can all enjoy Amy's face with me. And hey, look, the jaundice is probably quite accurate if you are, if you take into account her uh, final, final few years. Anyway, that's quite dark. So let's get on with the show. Just a reminder that the book is now available in ebook. It will slowly be trickling out into lots of different distribution channels. So check whatever you use and hopefully it won't be uh, too long until it's on your platform. And otherwise, just have a Google and see where you can find it if you're not dedicated to a platform, a you know, particular platform at the moment. I'm not big into the ebook book world, so um, I'm not hip with the jive, as, as the kids say. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> it's good when you can make yourself laugh. Uh, look, if you don't laugh, you cry. So maybe you do both. Welcome to my world. Um, I do want to make mention of my voice. I'm having some health problems. What else is new? And my voice is impacted by it. I'm not sure what's going on at the moment, but I seem to be getting laryngitis really easily and losing my voice or getting croaky really easily. Um, I haven't wanted to mention it because I didn't want to, you know, draw your attention to it and possibly annoy, it might annoy you if you, you weren't already aware of it, but it's getting quite bad. So I feel like I have to say something. Um, I'm going to get to the bottom of it and hopefully, you know, it gets better. But at the moment it's, it's annoying because I can only record for about half an hour before my voice starts to fatigue. And, um, you know, that, that takes, that means that my recording takes you know, double the time than it should. So if you do hear my voice start to fade, uh, in certain areas, that's why. And hopefully we can get some answers sooner rather than later. 
Always remember to listen to the soundtrack, the song of the chapter before you listen to the chapter, just to set the scene and the tone. Uh, This week, obviously, it's Amy Winehouse, Wake Up Alone, and the YouTube link is in the show notes as always. And if you haven't already left a written review or even just clicked five stars, please do so in your app right now so that you can get it out of the way and forget about it. It really helps to bump the podcast up the ladder a little bit so that hopefully new listeners will check it out and join the party. So I think that's it from me. I hope you enjoy this next chapter and fingers crossed we can get on top of this voice vocal sheet as soon as possible because it is a drainer. All right, lots of love and I will see you next time. He swims in my eyes by the bed Pour myself over him Mmm, spill it And I wake up alone And I wake up alone Chapter 16 He swims in my eyes by the bed. Soundtrack, Amy Winehouse. Wake up alone. In November 2016, by some incredible act of fate, I managed to finish my degree and obtain my Bachelor of Health Science in Nutrition. Hey Dad, I'm a scientist! Did I forget to attend my graduation because I was in a whirlpool of depression and drug abuse? Sure. Nonetheless, I got that certificate. To this day, I have no idea how I managed it. I'm either really lucky or some kind of genius because my brain was mush. My final year is a blur of rereading the same line from Benefits of Fish Oil in the Treatment of Bipolar Disorder, a study, telling patients to drink more apple cider vinegar and ensuring my nose was clean of white powder before consulting with my lecturers. I didn't tell any of my supervisors about my grief. My musical upbringing taught me never to apologise for mistakes or announce if you were under the weather. It gives the audience a reason to look for faults they might otherwise never have noticed. So, that's what I did. I squashed my misery with drugs and booze and dragged myself, bloodied and bruised, into clinic every day. Break a leg! It wasn't until I was sprung, crying silent tears in an empty treatment room that I confessed I was struggling. My friend Ali had found me. She was the only person at uni who knew the layers of my grief. We shared a lot during our years of studying together. We had celebrated her long-awaited pregnancy jumping up and down in the bathroom together like schoolgirls at a Harry Styles concert. And we cried together, 
when she learned that her baby was so sick it would die at birth if brought to term. She knew my heart was shattered and that I was attempting to paste it together with something as useless as clag. When I confessed to her once that I had filled my water bottle with wine and OJ, mmm, yummo, instead of judging me, she looked at me and said, Oh man, I've been there. Thank you. Hey, what's happening? Are you okay? She asked tentatively, sitting beside me on the client massage table. Um, no, yeah, I, I'm just having a panic attack. I was shaking and crying, but the cubicle walls kept me from fully expressing the heavy sobs building up inside my chest. It's okay. You're okay. Just try to breathe. She paused for a moment, then continued. Do do you think we should call an ambulance? Huh? Do you... Do you think you should go back to the clinic? Oh, no. Um, I'll be fine. I just... I just need to go to bed. For a year, I thought internally. She'd caught me off guard. This had become a regular occurrence for me that, until now... I had been able to hide from view. But to Ali, my sadness was so intense it warranted a trip to the psych hospital. In a way, it was validating. She bore witness to the anguish tearing me to pieces every second of every day. And it scared her. It scared me too. I remember walking into the common area with my two-for-one Red Bulls from 7-Eleven, only to be met with looks of horror from fellow classmates. They were more partial to coconut water or fair trade matcha latte with ethical almond milk and stevia. I survived on energy drinks and ten coffees a day. Can you say stomach ulcer, anyone? I needed them because I never slept. I would cry until I passed out, often in my mother's arms like a baby. Then I would dream. And dreamland was just as exhausting. I would dream about seeing my father through busy crowds. I'd weave and elbow my way toward him, only to have him disappear when I got to where he stood. I dream about Simon. The images would be brutal. Blood and gore were reoccurring themes. While wielding a samurai sword, I would say everything I failed to in waking life. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! I'd scream as he stared back at me numbly, saying nothing. Empty and robotic, even in my dreams. However exhausting, these were the bearable ones. They gave me some sense of redemption upon waking. 
The dreams in which Simon was loving and gentle destroyed me. They would stay with me all day. He would come to me. He would find me. It wasn't me playing the crazy ex-girlfriend who turned up drunk on his doorstep in the dead of night or stalked his new girlfriend, kidnapped her and slowly mailed him her fingers one by one. He would seek me out and tell me he loved me. In my slumber, I could feel Simon's strong, comforting arms as he pulled me close. The bristles of his untrimmed facial hair would brush my cheek as I burrowed into the crook of his neck. I could smell him. His smell. When I looked at him, his blue eyes would swallow me up like pools of water. I could see his every freckle and the deepening crinkles around his eyes from all the times I'd made him laugh. I could see his sadness and his fatigue. I could feel his fingertips grip me tightly, keeping me safe and reminding me I was his. He wore his real clothes not make-believe outfits I had concocted in my mind. His smell. His clothes. I didn't know dreams could be so visceral. Then he would speak. He would say my name the only way he could. The way that reminds you that you belong to someone that you are important. The way that shows you they have said it, let it roll around their mouths and truly felt it thousands of times. It's not even a name anymore, it's just you. He would grip my face with his slightly weathered hands and say, I love you. That was it. He repeated it torturously over and over I love you I love you I love you each time he said it with more certainty desperate to convince me of the truth behind his words and with my eyes closed in my nostalgic dreamland I believed him the recreation of his voice was faultless. Every inflection, every pause, the warmth, the timber, the depth, it was perfect. I was jealous of the words for getting to live within his mouth. Of all the things he could have said, he chose to say my name. I felt special before realising my mistake. I was just a sleepy girl, slowly waking up, repeating her own name to herself in the dark, trying to make it sound just right. I had a decent support network at uni, 
But no one truly knew the extent of my pain, and certainly not the ways I was trying to soothe it. The coursework was difficult and extensive, and it was taking its toll. I was wasting away, my appetite suppressed by cigarettes and suicidal depression. Eating was a chore. I wasn't actively trying to lose weight, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't get that familiar jolt of achievement whenever someone remarked how tiny I was with worry in their eyes. I never weighed myself for fear that reading the number on the scale would solidify a new goal to strive for forever. But there was no hiding the rapidly declining size of my pants. Looking back now, it's so clear that I was skin and bones. But at the time, my anorexic inner voice would chime in as effortlessly as ever to assure me I wasn't getting smaller. My clothes sizes had just been mislabeled or, or stretched in the wash. When I first met Sam, she used to call me Tiny as a nickname. For a while, it confused and even offended me. I thought she was using one of those opposite nicknames, like when you call someone with red hair Bluey. Looking back on photos from that time, I can confirm I was fucking tiny. Anorexia is such a persistent disease. Here I was, in recovery for almost a decade. And as soon as my life was in turmoil, my old friend Anna reared up her ugly head and showed me how to feign control over my life again. Welcome home, old pal.